Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put on a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. But his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. You, you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the reading of God's word. Praise be to God. Let's turn one more time to Philippians chapter 1. And I want to read to you verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Now, you know, years ago I was preaching through uh, the book of John and, and I read this uh, comment about John 14. And um, now... I don't know if this plays out today like it is. I mean, I find myself reading my Bible on my iPad nowadays, and I can't leave my oily uh, oil from my hands on the page because it's a screen. But in days gone by, if you had favorite passages, you would leave some oil on the page, and you may leave tears on the page, and you may mark on the page and not have these little marks a lot things that you can erase with a button or whatever. But, you know, if you go to John 14, this man said, if you go to John 14, it's the most marked up, one of the most marked up passages 
uh, in the Bible because it gives people great comfort. Everybody loves to hear, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions, and I've preached several sermons uh, at funerals over John 14. And I would say to you, I've seen people's Bibles, and their Bibles are pretty much marked up in John 14. Well, one of the books that is also probably marked up in my own heart and mind is the book of Philippians. In the book of Philippians, if you turn to chapter 1, what you're going to find is the Apostle Paul teaches us how to pray. And he teaches us to pray for partnership in the gospel and not to be partisan when it comes to preaching the gospel. He teaches us to go forward in progress in the gospel. He says some things in chapter 1 that are fabulous things, verses that we all memorize like this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We all know that. And then he says, to depart and be with Christ is far better. But he says, it's necessary right now, more necessary for me to stay in the body and remain with you. So you can see that he wants to serve them as much as uh, he needs to do that, even though he would love to be in the presence of Christ even more. In Philippians 2, we read words, and I want to see. Let me, let me read these words to you. It says in verse 5, Have this attitude in yourselves. And in other translations, it says, Make your own the mind of Christ. Don't you love that statement? Make your own the mind of Christ. And you and I, we are to have the mind of Christ, and he tells us we are to shine as stars in a dark sky. We're living in a perverse and corrupt generation, and he says, live in this generation as those who have the mind of Christ, as God himself is working in you according to his good pleasure. And then he gives illustrations of people who have put on the mind of Christ. He says, look at Timothy, and look at your own pastor. Their, their pastor's name was Epaphroditus. That's a mouthful. Say that five times in a row and see what happens. Um, so there's Timothy and there's Epaphroditus, and they both have the mind of Christ. They look out after the interest of others. Uh, they look out after the interest of Christ. If you go to chapter 3, something enormous takes place in chapter 3. Paul is converted. He talks about his conversion in chapter 3, and he says that he has been apprehended by Christ. And we will talk about that in a moment. And now he's no longer confident in his own works, but he's confident in Christ's works and his righteousness. If we turn to chapter 4, we see that he's exhorting a couple of women. Do, do, and men probably get at odds with each other too, but it just happens to be that there's two women, and they're being exhorted to agree in the Lord. We also see that we're not to be anxious about anything, but by prayer and supplication we're to bring our, our uh, request to God. And then after that, chapter 4, verse 8, I think everybody probably has some of that memorized. Um, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, this is what you and I are to set our mind on, to think about. And then he says this, I've learned to be content. <laughs> really? <laughs> I've learned to be content. He says, this is my secret. I've learned to be content. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, as we look at the letter of Philippians, these are some of the things we uh, can look forward to. And as we begin, though, I want you to see that it is a letter. It's, a, it's an epistle. It's a letter. And back in ancient times, they had a way of doing letters. They put their name front at the front. They didn't put it at the end. Yours truly, Mark Wheat. They didn't write that. They put Mark at the beginning. And so we see Paul 
and Timothy here. The names are at the beginning. In an ancient letter also, they, um, some, some, they identify themselves here as bond servants, and then they write to the recipients. The recipients are then stated, and then there's a word of greeting. But what happens here, and what happens with Paul at all times, he takes the norm and he infuses stuff into it. He makes it doctrinal. He makes it more uh, powerful. He's going to use even the Christian salutation to inf infuse uh, teaching into it for us. And so notice what he says. It's me, it's Timothy, and we are bondservants of Jesus Christ. And then he says to all the saints, he calls them in the church there in Philippi, he calls them saints, and where are they? Spiritually, they are in Christ Jesus. And you and I, we are the saints who are in uh, Kids are kids in new territory. Our, our, you know, and our mailing address says Sugarland, right? So these are saints, and they are located in Philippi. We are saints, and we are located in Sugarland, new territory, whichever one you want to pick, right? Now, Richmond, <laughs> which is it? I don't know. <laughs> but here we are. And those, those people in that church are in Christ Jesus, and you and I, we are in, spiritually in, Christ Jesus, this is what he's communicating with us. And no, not only that, but he says that they are bond servants of Jesus Christ. And that's communicating who they are. That's an identity. We are bond servants. Now the word bond servants, it can be translated slaves. We're slaves of Jesus Christ. We're in Jesus Christ. I'm writing to you in Philippi, and Paul is writing to us here in this place. We are slaves. He's communicating to us that he's a slave who belongs to Jesus Christ. Now, originally, was Paul a slave of Jesus Christ? He was not. Originally, Paul was a slave of what? Sin. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to give you three points about slavery Slavery to the sin of immorality, slavery to the sin of morality, and then we look at slavery to Jesus Christ. Let's first talk about slavery to the sin of immorality. This was not Paul's problem. Paul was not a slave to immorality in the sense that we're going to talk about it from uh, Luke chapter 15 when we looked at the as we had it read to us, the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son. But did you notice that maybe we ought to try change the way we see that parable? Maybe we ought to call it the parable of the two sons. Did you see two sons? An older and a younger son? And all we're doing is talking about one. But maybe we ought to talk about both of them. And that's what we want to do today. We're going to see that one, the younger son, the prodigal son, the one we talk about the most, he's the slave to what? He's the slave to immorality. And we're going to see that the other son was a slave of something else. We'll get to that in a minute. The younger son knows the father's will. The younger son knows the rules of the house. The younger son, he knows the Ten Commandments. He knows what the father desires for him to do. And what he does is he comes to his father and says, basically says, I'm not going to live under your house anymore. He says, what I want you to do is give me my inheritance. Now, don't walk out of here thinking that this meant halves. They don't, they don't get half. The younger son got a third and the older son gets two thirds. 
But what he did was he went and says, I want my third, and I'm going to leave your house. And so he goes off to a distant country, and we know what he does. He squanders his wealth in loose living. He goes out and lives recklessly, the the, uh, ESV said we just read. And as long as he had wealth, as long as he had the money, guess what he had? Friends. And those friends helped him do what? They helped him spend his money. (laughs) They helped him spend his money on all the things he was doing. But when a famine came, all of a sudden he began to be in want. And what does he do? He goes and hires himself out to somebody. And that somebody gives him a job. And he's not working at Chick-fil-A. He's working in the pigsty. Chick-fil-A might, I don't know what Evan might tell us about working at Chick-fil-A. It might be close to that, huh? But he's working in the pig pen. And he's giving pods to the pigs. And he has, listen, how many times does it say, no one, no help, no one helped him. No more friends, no more money, no more friends. Starving. This is the slavery to the sin of immorality. And what it is is saying, I'm going to go out and live contrary to the law of God. This person knows God's commands. This person turns away from God's commands. If you go to Psalm chapter 2, it says that basically what these guys do is they take the shackles, they call God's word shackles, throw them off. We're going to live the way we want to. We're not going to kiss you. We're not going to do your will. We're going to live separated and at a distance from God. And at the end result of living like this is misery. The end result of living apart from God, of living Away from the commandments of God is misery. And this is what we see today. I'm going to live my life my way. I'm going to redefine marriage to suit me. I'm going to redefine the rules and live according to, don't we hear this, my truth. (laughs) My truth. I'm going to love myself, please myself, give myself to experiment with anything and everything. No boundaries for me. I'm set free from all of that. No rules, just right for me. This is what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4. He says, but realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self. Wow, you just read the newspapers. Lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips. Here's one, here's here's really, without self-control. Brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Do these things represent anybody in this room? Are you fulfilling Paul's prophecy? Are you sowing to your wild oats? And you say, no, 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 I'm not doing that. Well, let me, let's, 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 let's get really real with the young people. Um, you, you can be at home. This is the danger of being a young person in a home where your parents have done everything they can to pray, everything they can to get you ready for life. You haven't had to go through some of the struggles your mom and dad have had to go through, and you're getting all of this sort of for free. They're reading it to you. They're praying it to, for you. They're teaching it to you, and you haven't had to go through some of the strains that your mom and dad have had to go through. And are you sitting there in your seat saying, I'm minding my P's and Q's until I get out of the house and I can sow my wild oats then? you got to ask that question. Am I just dotting my I's and crossing my T's till I get out of the house? Then I'll sow my wild oats. Because if I sow any right now, ooh, man, I might catch it. I might catch it, you know. 
Have you stopped and thought about the, the end of this son? Have you stopped and thought about the pigsty? Have you stopped to see that nobody, nobody helped him? Nobody. Have you taken notice of what happens? Have you noticed that? Watch I don't, I don't watch much, but I do watch some. And they can really tell us everything in the news. They can tell you everything that's going on about all the sins. But you know what they don't tell you? They don't tell you the reason for, for all of that is that they, people are breaking the word of God. They don't tell you that part. They sure can tell you what's going on. You can't break God's laws without misery. You can't engage in sin and get glitter and glory and honey. It's going to be nothing but pods, nothing but gravel, no profit. Now, uh, many of you say to me, no, that's not me. I would never do anything like that. Well, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul would say. I would never do anything like that. Apostle Paul, he's, if you will, he's the older brother in Luke 15. And when that younger brother, think about it, that younger brother, he comes to his senses down in that pigsty. And he says to himself, it's better with my father. I would rather be a hired hand with my father. I'm going to go and I'm going to repent. I'm going to tell him I've sinned. And I'm going to go back and be a hired hand for my father. And when he comes back, what's that father do? He's been waiting at the door. He's looking at him. And he's, he's like, he runs out and grabs hold of him. Gives him some clothes. He puts some shoes on his feet. He gives him a ring. He has a feast for him prepared. The, the, they kill the fattened calf. And that older brother finds out. He wants to know what's going on. What's all this noise? And he finds out. And he won't go into the party. He won't go into the celebration. And so the father goes to the son. And he pleads with him to come and celebrate the fact that his younger brother has come back home. He's been lost, but now he's found. And this is what he says. Look. Look, for so many years I have been serving, slaving away for you so long i've been doing this i have never neglected a command of yours and yet you have never given me a goat so that i might celebrate with my friends but when this son of yours he won't even claim him as a brother this son of yours when he who's gone out and devoured your wealth with prostitutes you killed the fattened calf for him and that's exactly how Paul would have responded. That is a scamp. <laughs> that is a scab. I would never have anything to do with him. And you see, this is where, where Saul, our, our apostle Paul, this is where we see that he was a slave to the sin of morality. He would have ridiculed his younger brother because he was an older brother. He was a Pharisee, and Jesus is addressing in this parable the Pharisee as well as the immoral people of the day. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 5. He would boast in his advantages. He was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel. He would boast that he was a Benjamite. You know what it means to be a Benjamite? You know who famous Benjamites are? Saul's a famous Benjamite. These men were known to be warriors. The Apostle Paul, can you, just, you know that later on in his life? Can you see Mr. Warrior? Oh man, what a warrior. He boasted that he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews and he boasted about his accomplishments as in regard to the law, a Pharisee and one advancing above all those in his time. He's As for zeal, he persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. As for legalistic righteousness, he was absolutely blameless. 
This is what he boasted in. So the parable shows us there's a younger brother who's a slave of immorality and there's an older brother who's a slave of morality. Look, look, I've been serving and slaving away according to your word, never disobeyed your word. Where's my, where's my goat? Where's my calf? You owe me. This is what the apostle Paul used to believe, that you owe me something. You owe me. Now watch this. Here's this younger man. And how far away is he from God, from the, from the Father? Oh, he's way out in a far country. But when he was in the pigsty repenting, that's when he was really getting close. And then he came and got closer. And here's a man who's living in the same house. And how far is his heart from God? How far is this, far is this man's heart from God? This is the Apostle Paul. You owe me. He did not see that his, his morality were filthy rags before God's sight. He believed that since he did not find himself enslaved to immorality, that he was enslaved to no sin at all. But he was enslaved to his morality, the sin of morality. Maybe you're here today and you've established a list of rules for yourself. There are things that you do and there are things that you will not do. You will... Uh, one of the big things that I've, I've heard men say, you know, men in, the, uh, in California in the Central Valley, you know what they do? They work hard. Now, we have men here who work hard, but I'm just going to tell you the, st the little stories that I uh, know there. These men, they, they get up in the morning. Sometimes they come, they'll be sitting right there where Marshall's at, and they'll have been up all night long because they're spraying for bugs to not be on their almond trees. They work all night long. They work hard. They will boast about how hard they work. They would never have, never be out without a job. They would never be without a job. They will always pull their weight. They will never be addicted to porn. They will never uh, squander their money. They will never chew tobacco and go with the girls who chew tobacco. You with me? They got rules. They got things they do and they things they do not do. I would never do X, Y, or Z. I will always do this X, Y, or Z. And they sound like this older brother pointing their finger and saying, look at those guys on that TV. Look at those guys. Look, they're addicted to pornography. Can you believe it? Look at how horrible their lives are. These people live according to the lies and I live according only to the truth. I'm a, truth, I'm a person of truth. I live according to God's truth. And I heard one man say this and it just grieved me. He said, why does God allow these people to take up stuff? Mm. Let me just ask you a question. What has it profited you? How close to God are you? Am I an older brother far from God? You see, the older brother was in the same house far from God. You and I, we can, and I've said this many times, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it on a regular basis. You can be so close to all the right things. You can be so close to the Word. You can be so close to baptism and the, and the Lord's Supper. You can be so close to people praying. You can be so close to good fellowship, and you can be way far away from God. You can be a slave to the sin of morality. You can be sick and not even know it. 
Another case in point is found in Luke 18, 9 through 14. This is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And I think I want to, I want to use this to drive the point home. Who goes home at the end of the day right with God? That's the question. And so Jesus is preaching this, and he says, And he, Jesus, also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. And so there's two men. They went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. The other was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying to himself. Man, there's a whole bunch of, there's probably a sermon in that right there. Praying to who? (laughs) Praying to who? Praying to himself, not to God. There's a thought. And he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people or men. I'm not a swindler. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not even like that guy in the back of the church back there, the the tax collector. I'm not like him. I fast two times a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. This is the slavery of morality. He's exalting himself. Look at me. Look what I don't do. Look what I do do. And then Jesus places in front of us the tax collector standing some distance away and he was unwilling to lift his eyes up to heaven but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. (laughs) This guy won't even lift his eyes up. He's way back at the back. Beating on his breast. Who is nearest, who is closest to God and who is farthest away? Jesus tells us, verse 14, I tell you, this man, this man who's beating his breast won't lift his eyes up to heaven, beating his breast and crying out for mercy. This man goes home close to God. This man goes home justified. But this other man, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus is teaching that Pharisees, that Paul, the Pharisee, before he was a the Apostle Paul. He's an older brother. Older brothers then are far from God. Older brothers today are far from God. Thinking that we have God in our debt. You owe me. You owe me something. That's far from God. You know, folks, I don't know who wrote this. And I'm sure that I've embellished it since I've read it. But I I didn't come up with this on my own. But it went something like this. The devil's perfectly content for you to set up the dictator of pride in your heart. You hear me? Perfectly happy for you to give up every sin just as long as you're pleased with yourself when you do it. You hear that? Just as long as you're pleased with yourself. I will stop cursing. I will stop uh, sexual immorality. I will stop pornography. I will see all of these things as beneath me. These things are beneath me. I don't do that anymore. It's beneath me. He's pleased when we set up the dictatorship of pride Think about the pride of the Titanic. Y'all remember that? I mean, man, you grow up and you learn a little bit about the Titanic. It was the greatest ship ever made. It was never supposed to be sunk. And what does it do? It sinks on its first, the maiden voyage. It sinks on its maiden voyage. And I want you to imagine that you're the the head of the whole ship and you want to make sure that all the chairs are arranged perfectly so you get all the chairs arranged perfectly and you get all the carpets all beautified and you get all everything is is vacuumed and you get all the decks swabbed and you do all the stuff on the external part but you don't know that you got a gash in the hull you're going down the devil would love for you to rearrange the chairs 
He would love for the everything in your life. I don't do this. I don't do that. I do this. I do that. He would love for all of that to be taken care of and you to be pleased with yourself just as long as you don't see the cancer of sin and pride in your heart. He loves it. This is the slavery to the sin of morality. Scripture tells us by the works of the law, you cannot be saved. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works. 2 Timothy 1, 9, God has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, not by morality. Titus 3, 5, He saved us not because of righteous things we have done. Paul came to realize that he was a slave to sin, not immorality, but morality. He had pride, and it was making him worse. That's the thing. That's the thing. Who goes home close to God? Who goes home far away from God? So we see the slavery to the sin of immorality. We see the slavery to the sin of morality. Either way, you're a slave of Sin, you know, right? Sin, no profit. Write that down, no profit. Only misery and only distance from God. Now, here's the big question. How can any of these two brothers be brought to their senses? I used to just, it took me years to write this sermon. (laughs) Um, How can any of these guys be brought to their senses? One person. Jesus Christ. Listen, listen, and see if this doesn't help you. I love this. I love this. Jesus has to bring the younger brother, and Jesus has to bring the older brother to their senses. The one who's telling the parable did what the older brother should have done. The older brother should have left home and should have gone out and found that brother and brought him back home, but he didn't do it. But Jesus is the perfect older brother. What does he do? He goes out and he finds, he seeks and saves the lost. That's what Jesus does. And so you see what Jesus does. It says when the 99, they're over here, they're righteous, they're all okay. And he goes out and he seeks after the one that's lost. And there's that woman, she has those 10 coins, but she loses one and she drops everything she's doing. Jesus does the same thing. There's that one coin that's lost, lights a lamp, sweets the house until she finds that one coin. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He goes out and he finds this younger brother in the pigsty. The older brother, as we begin to look at the Apostle Paul, is the Apostle Paul. He is Saul. And Jesus Christ jolted him to his senses in Acts chapter 9. You remember that. In Acts chapter 8, he's bringing threats of murder against Jesus and the church. And in Acts chapter 9, Jesus, the resurrected Christ, meets him on the road. And there he is. And Paul says in Philippians 3.12, he says, He apprehended me. He took hold of me. I mean, that's sort of the, the same terms as he put me in handcuffs. He came and he found me. In Christ, he came to me and he called me heavenward. And I don't put any, I don't put any confidence in my advantages anymore. I don't put any confidence in my accomplishments anymore. But I put all my confidence in the righteousness 
that comes by faith. This is what he says in Philippians 3, 7 and 9. But whatever things were gained to me, all those things, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ, more than that I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may have Christ. And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, all those things he had done. All that list, all those things he didn't do, all those things he does do. But that, he, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Now Saul, whom we call Paul, is no longer a slave of sin, but he's a slave of Jesus Christ. Are you a slave of Jesus Christ? Not boasting, not saying, Lord, now, before, where's my, where's my goat? Where's my calf? You owe me. I haven't broken one rule. Now, we all know that he found out that he did, but we'll talk about that later. But now, you've done it all for me. I'm not going to put any confidence in myself. I'm going to put all my confidence in Jesus Christ. We're going to sing this morning, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it. White as snow. I'm no longer a slave of sin. You and I, we've been bought with a price. And you and I are to glorify God with our bodies. Let me end with an illustration. You know, we think about the bonds of matrimony. In marriage, if you want it to work, I'm gonna, let, let me, let's, let's all stop and we're going to all, it, I think he'll let me do this so y'all laugh, enjoy this. We want this guy to have a wife one day, right? <laughs> and so, so here he is. And so we're going to give you some, we're going to sit down with you right now. We're going to give you some, some help, some uh, counsel. If you want it to work, Ben, um, there's rules, right? There's rules, guys. Here's where they are. One man, one woman, vowing to love each other till death do his part. That's the, that's the rules. That's the short version. Here's the rules. And if you want it to work out, you marry this man, you marry this woman, and you are together, and you love each other, and you have boundaries. You love each other. You don't have other people involved in this relationship. You love each other. Uh, you don't abandon your family. You stick with your family. You love your family. You're free to love your family. You're free to love your wife. You're free to love your husband. This is how things work. We're slaves to the right thing. Same thing's true of Jesus. If you've been bought by Jesus Christ, you are his slave. Now somebody might say, well, my Pastor Mark, we're just trading off one slavery for another slavery. Yeah, absolutely. That's what we're doing. We're absolutely doing that. Let me just requote this to you. If we are truly disciples of Jesus Christ, if we're truly his slaves, then we are truly free. For you shall know the truth who is Jesus and Jesus who is the truth. If you're wed to him, if you are handcuffed to him, it's a wonderful handcuffing freedom. If you're enslaved to Christ, you're free. You're free to do the next right thing. And that's a wonderful freedom. Enslaved to Christ and free at the same time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for teaching us that
those of us who are in Christ are his slaves and that we are to be free to operate and live our lives according to the commandments of God to please you, Lord, be given hearts that love the word and not want to get rid of it. Uh, Lord, to be as near to you as we possibly can, as we read, as we pray, as we join our hearts together in fellowship and sing. Oh, Lord, help us remember the, this is, this is uh, our life. Be united in communion and bound to you. We praise you and thank you for what you've taught us. We ask that we might improve it as we leave today. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.